0: What are the most powerful biohacks for increasing brain power? Is it possible to gain the life extension benefits of autophagy without fasting for several days in a row? What? How do you quit addictions? How to break a dry fast? And what kind of routines and habits keep me on point? What the hell? These are some of the few questions we're going to be talking about in today's Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. My name is Simland, and this is a special Q&A episode about the questions I asked from my YouTube community page. I want to ask you a bunch of questions, and I want to have them answered immediately. Without further ado, let's talk about Body, Body, Mind, Empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Okay, I'm going to start off with probably one of the most juiciest and uh, interesting questions of the bunch. Is it possible to gain the benefits of autophagy without doing days-long fasts? So, let's go through some of the basics. Autophagy is the cellular detoxification process that requires the abstinence of nutrients. Any type of energy, whether from carbs, protein, fat... Exogenous ketones, BCA's or fiber will inhibit autophagy to some degree. To induce autophagy, your liver glycogen needs to be low. You need to suppress the anabolic pathway of mTOR, which is the pathway that signals your cells to grow and replicate. You also need to upregulate AMPK, which is the fuel sensor that gets released in energy deprivation and fat burning. And you need to be in this depleted state for at least a day or even more. Autophagy is a very new thing and we don't know much about it and that's what the current research is showing us. However, what we also know is that autophagy is a matter of degree and it's happening in different tissues all the time. There are even some foods and compounds that boost autophagy even while eating. Exercise and heat sauna can also stimulate autophagy. So what I propose is that rather than looking at autophagy as something regulated by food, think of it as mediated by the overall energy homeostasis of your body. Whenever your body is in a depleted state, you're burning more fat, you're keeping your lymph system active, you're using your endogenous energy sources from your internal stores, and you're stimulating autophagy at least a bit more. Therefore, if you were to upregulate the AMPK boosting pathways that make your body burn its endogenous fuel sources and suppress the mTOR boosting pathways that register the presence of abundant nutrients, then you can induce mild autophagy while still eating on a regular basis. Are you serious? There are also some good research by Walter Longo and his fasting mimicking diet, which kind of mimics the physiology of fasting to a certain degree. It's gonna put you into deep ketosis, but at the same time, you may not gain the full benefits of autophagy, like this deeper cellular cleansing. But at the same time, you know, it's it's a still great way of kind of restricting your nutrient intake and priming yourself to be more pro-autophagy, if that makes sense. The best and most surest way to trigger autophagy is to fast for at least 72 hours. That's the general milestone where you can see that autophagy is beginning to really ramp up. But, you know, you can't fast all the time for that long unless you have a lot of body fat. But uh, you can still trigger autophagy and gain some of the benefits without going through these extended fasts. So here are some of the tips for that. Number one, you need to still practice intermittent fasting every day. At minimum, you would want to fast for 18 to 20 hours every day to prime your body to produce more ketones and to deplete your energy stores. The truth is that you're not actually fasting as long as you think you are because digesting food takes a long time and before you can enter into a fasted state, you need to be burnt off the energy or the calories that you consumed in your last meal. It depends on what kind of a food it is and how much you ate. But generally it takes about six to eight hours for your body to break down the nutrients, absorb the nutrients, and clear out the bloodstream from those nutrients and only after that you're gonna begin your fast so in reality if you eat dinner at 8 p.m then you only begin to fast in the middle of the night at about 1 to 2 a.m in the morning you've been fasting only for let's say 7 to 8 hours not 12 hours as you might think so the lean gain style of fasting of 16 and 8 isn't definitely enough to trigger growth hormone or even to trigger autophagy. It's simply a way of time restricting your feeding window and, in, and, and this way you can kinda reduce your caloric intake for the time being. But to actually trigger mild autophagy or something, then you need to do the warrior diet style where you fast for at least 18 to 20 hours. Number two, whenever you do eat, you wanna eat relatively low carb to maintain lower glycogen stores. Even if you eat a non-ketogenic diet, you don't want to eat any more carbs than your body needs because it's gonna say to your body that we don't need to burn fat and we have energy in the system. This is definitely gonna elevate mTOR, it's gonna suppress AMPK, and it's going to shut down autophagy completely. Muscle glycogen is irrelevant in this scenario, so You can definitely exercise hard and deplete your muscle glycogen and even consume some carbs to replenish those muscle glycogen while still staying in ketosis but to maintain autophagy you want to keep liver glycogen quite low most of the time this means that eating high amounts of carbohydrates isn't definitely ideal in most scenarios the only time you wanna eat carbs is in a depleted state when your body is going to use that glucose very fast and the muscle cells are going to absorb it very quickly. You don't want to be consuming too much fruit either because fruit will replenish liver glycogen without filling up your muscle glycogen. So it will definitely shut down the AMPK pathways. Number three, you don't want to be eating high amounts of calories or high amounts of fat either because they're going to raise mTOR and suppress autophagy. Energy is energy and it doesn't matter where it's coming from whether from bulletproof coffee, whether from a banana, whether from steak, raw eggs, exogenous ketones or a big bowl of lettuce. Overconsumption of calories in any shape or form is going to inhibit AMPK. For longevity purposes and fat burning purposes, you always want to maintain this state where you're staying around your caloric maintenance. You don't ever want to do this crazy dirty box because it's going to mess up all of your metabolic pathways almost We've got fat caloric restriction however it can definitely increase autophagy to some degree if you're eating at a caloric deficit then you may potentially raise autophagy to some degree fourth aerobic exercise probably stimulates more autophagy than resistance training because it also increases lymph flow however both of them are needed for maintaining lean mass If you were to do only cardio at a fasted state while eating at a caloric deficit then you will induce autophagy but autophagy is catabolic and it will make you lose lean muscle tissue. Therefore if you're eating fewer calories then it's super important to do resistance training and lift heavy weights because you're gonna preserve your muscle and muscle is incredibly important for longevity. It has many anti-aging benefits, it improves insulin sensitivity, it strengthens your bones, and it protects against many other diseases. You would live longer and healthier if you were to experience less autophagy, but maintain muscle, rather than get skinny fat, but have more autophagy. There's this fine line between balancing between mTOR and autophagy. You want to have both. 5. Certain foods also stimulate autophagy, like coffee, green tea, turmeric, ginger, ginseng, medicinal mushrooms, adaptogenic herbs, berberine and elderberries. The idea is to activate AMPK, which signals your body that it needs to switch over to burning its energy backup stores. All of them are these kinds of herbs that have this hormetic effect on your body. They have small amounts of anti-nutrients and they activate the NRF2 pathway, which is the main antioxidant pathway in your body. This is going to have a beneficial, anti-fragile and hormetic effect on your entire body and triggering autophagy is probably a part of it. Number six. Everything that stimulates the lymph system will have a carryover effect to autophagy as well. Sweating through exercise, hot yoga, heat saunas, infrared saunas, rebounding, bouncing around on your feet. Everything that keeps your blood flowing can at least help you with flushing out the toxins in your body. If you've accumulated a ton of waste material and certain toxins into your system, then you're not going to even trigger autophagy until you've cleaned out your body first. So that's why if your purpose is to activate autophagy more, then you want to always maintain this semi-depleted state. Doing stuff like ice-cold baths, coffee enemas, different inversion tables, salt flushes, taking activated charcoal, spirulina, all of those things that help you detox your body, they can help you to trigger autophagy faster and they can also make you enter a faster state also quite rapidly. As soon as your body gets depleted, that's a sign to raise AMPK and in so doing, activate autophagy as well. Number seven, suppressing insulin and eating less protein will suppress mTOR, which can help to raise autophagy. Too much autophagy can make you catabolic if you stay there for too long. That's why I prefer to stay in a semi-autophagy state most of the time. And whenever I'm trying to build muscle after resistance training, I deliberately make myself more anabolic with eating slightly more protein and other amino acids. You can also take these supplements that promote muscle growth, like leucine, HMB, or creatine, or stuff like that. They're gonna stimulate mTOR and promote muscle growth, but because I'm already staying in semi-autophagy and very deep ketosis most of the day with fasting, exercise, heat saunas, and autophagy-boosting foods, then I create this buffer zone, and I kind of reap the benefits of both worlds. Number eight. Dry fasting is especially effective when triggering autophagy and putting yourself into ketosis faster. When you're not eating food and you started to fast, then before your body can trigger autophagy, then it still needs to go through this period of digesting the food that you ate last night and also absorbing the other nutrients. Drinking water itself is still a form of energy. It's not going to give you calories that you can burn off. But it's still something that you have to digest hydration is definitely very crucial and you don't want to deprive yourself from water for too long and you want to make sure that you get enough electrolytes minerals and salts and stuff like that but at the same time dry fasting for short periods of time are very beneficial just because of the autophagy boosting effect they also say that dry fasting is three times more effective than water fasting so in theory you can trigger deep autophagy with only one day of dry fasting instead of three days of water fasting. And you don't even need to dry fast for the entire 24 hours. Simply restricting your water intake as well and experiencing mild dehydration at least throughout the night, that's a great way to prime your body to activate AMPK more and trigger autophagy. Even in this scenario, you're not actually dehydrated because burning fatty acids and converting your body fat into energy, it creates hydrogen molecules, it creates water, and you're not even going to stop urinating while you're dry fasting. You're still burning fat, you're still producing calories from your body fat, and you're still converting body fat into water. That's how crazy your body is, like literally a survival machine. And you can definitely add this to your arsenal of fasting. So. On any day, what I recommend is to at least dehydrate yourself throughout the night. That's the minimum you should do. You don't want to be guzzling down a lot of water before you go to bed because it's going to make you go to bathroom, it's going to disrupt your sleep and you definitely don't want to be drinking anything throughout the night either because it's going to inhibit the dehydration, dry fasting effect. What you want to do instead is stop drinking water after dinner and simply rehydrate yourself in the morning with some good salts and some water. That's a very simple way of activating the hormetic effect of dry fasting without actually going into a crazy dry fasting routine. (coughs) So here is my general blueprint of what I do to every day to keep myself in a more autophagy boosting state without actually fasting for any longer than 24 hours. So what I do in the morning I've been fasting for about 10 hours or so. Then I'm not going to drink a lot of water immediately either. The absolute minimum I aim for is 12 hours of dehydration. That's a good medium point because I don't want to slow down my energy production and uh, I don't want to get cramps or anything like that either because I still stay physically active throughout the day. What I break the dry fast with is is usually some hot water with a bit of baking soda, some pink chameleon rock salt, and I mix it all together well. Baking soda is an amazing thing to drink every day and is going to promote kidney health, It's going to remove the acidity in your blood that you accumulate during fasting, It's gonna break down some kidney stones if you have some, and it has anti-cancer properties, so it's safe to say that it can also maybe stimulate autophagy to some degree. I drink that cup of water, and after that, I kind of start rehydrating myself as well. Throughout the day, I'm going to drink some water with some more pink Himalayan rock salt. It's going to keep me hydrated. It's going to keep my electrolytes in balance. And it's going to prevent me from losing my electrolytes as well. Because drinking too much water without the minerals, it may cause me to go to the bathroom too often. And I'm going to lose my minerals. I'm going to feel like crap. And I potentially get some muscle cramps as well. So, water fasting without salts and electrolytes is very bad for you and you always want to make sure that you get some salts. Then, I still continue to fast at minimum for 18 hours every day. On longer days, I tend to fast for 22 hours, but if I'm fasting for 18 hours, then I'm going to break the fast with some autophagy-boosting compounds. You can check out the recipe through this kind of... a. Uh, anti-aging cocktail that I make you probably heard about it already but uh, it contains stuff like turmeric, ginseng, ginger, rosemary, cinnamon, chaga mushroom, spirulina, raw cacao, some more salts and some ginseng. All of those things activate AMPK and research has also shown that they activate autophagy as well. Potentially it's going to break autophagy But as we know, autophagy is a matter of degree. It's going to inhibit autophagy a little bit, but it's going to still maintain it. To absorb those nutrients, I also add some black pepper, some cayenne pepper, and a little bit of either MCT oil or some bone broth that I cooked up. That small amount of fat is going to promote bioavailability and is going to slow down the digestion process. So it's kind of safe to say that I'm creeping in and out of autophagy. You don't want to take too much fat or you don't want to put too many compounds into the mix because you still want to maintain a relatively low carb state and low calorie state as well to stay depleted. So that's what I drink. I call it the AMPK activated autophagy activator. All rights reserved to Seamland. After that, I continue to fast. I'm going to even have a workout. I'm going to move around. What I usually work out with is high-intensity interval training like a tapata session, and I usually finish off my workouts with some bodybuilding exercises. Then, in the evening, I'm gonna eat a low-carb keto dinner with some of the sulforaphane-rich vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, which is gonna activate Nrf2, some fermented foods, which is good for the gut microbiome, some good sources of protein like eggs, fish, organ meats, red meat for promoting muscle growth, and some healthy fats like olive oil, MCT oil, bone broth, butter, or sour cream. You want to consume a ton of these polyphenols and flavonoids that are going to trigger NRF2 and probably going to stimulate autophagy to some degree as well. But that is it for this question about autophagy. And I definitely think that you can apply at least some of these principles of depleting your body and allowing your endogenous energy production to take over. Hey, let's be careful now. Moving on with question number two. What's your advice on quitting addictions like tobacco? So, all addictions, in my opinion, are based on your identity's attachment to the addiction. You think you need something to make yourself feel full or satisfied. And uh, your ego associates that addiction with who you are, the person or the story you tell yourself who you are. That's why habits are so hard to break. You're so used to doing something that your ego has molded itself right around that thing. It's everything you see, it's everything you breathe, it's the only thing you think you are. Whenever you stop doing that activity, that addiction, you literally feel as if a part of you has been taken away or it has gone missing. It's like something has been ripped apart, like you're missing a leg or or an arm. The key to overcoming addictions is to reconstruct your self-identity in a way that neglects the addiction and rehabilitates your habits. You have to become a new person in your own head. As long as you keep doing that what keeps you addicted, the more you're gonna enforce that same identity and the more engraved it becomes in your self-identity. The most effective way of disassociating yourself with the addiction is to abstain from it completely for as long as you can. Basically, You have to fast. In my opinion, fasting is incredibly good for breaking addictions because it allows you to get outside of the vicious habit loop. You're going to allow your body to reset its taste preferences and you're going to regain your conscious state of mind. Because if you are stuck in the vicious habit loop of addiction, then it's very difficult to see anything beyond that. Like I said, you associate the habit with who you are and it literally creates this echo chamber or a wall of brain fog around you. I'm not an addict. After you come out of a fast, you're gonna experience more sanity and more self-control. You'll even feel more confident about your ability to say no to the addiction and you're gonna go, how the hell was I so addicted in the first place? The only obstacle is the attachment itself. There's only a small wall you need to get over. After you climb over this initial obstacle, then it's very easy to stay more consistent that obstacle is just simply an illusion that you created in your own head fear anxiety attachment they're all things that you created they're invisible boundaries in your own head created by your ego i'm not addicted to my computer and definitely there are some other stuff as well that you can use to quit addictions like i mentioned it's all based around your self-identity and to change your self-identity you have to start with changing your self-talk, changing the story you tell yourself about who you are, changing the habitual narrative that goes on inside your head every day, changing the actions that you take, and changing the ideas that you value. If you're an addicted person, then it also means that you kind of value that addiction that you're attached to. If you value health more than the addiction like smoking or drinking, then there's no question about it. You would simply quit the addiction because you value your health more than the addiction. But if you're unable to do it, then it's uh, simply a matter of lying to yourself. You say to yourself that you want to stay healthy and stuff. But if your actions don't back up those words, then your words mean nothing. Actions speak louder than words. And the words you use to describe yourself literally create your own reality. So maybe you can do some affirmations start getting your skin in the game, actually doing what you said you're gonna do, suffering a little bit, so you could detach yourself from the stimulus and to also practice some foresight. Imagine what the future version of yourself would act in this situation. Is the greatest version of yourself the most empowered and the best version of yourself? Is it attached? Is it addicted to these kinds of weak-minded things? Or has it mastered its own mind? and doesn't fall prey to these cravings. That's an important thing to ask yourself, and it definitely requires some deep work, but like I said, all of the obstacles you experience, they're created by your own head, and you can transcend them at an instant. This very minute, you can overcome your addiction to whatever it may be at this very minute. Simply say no, draw a line in the sand, and plant your feet into the ground. Enough is enough! Let's carry on. Question number three. What are my biohacks for increasing brain power? Well, probably the most underrated and one of the most effective ways of boosting your brain power is to have a good night's sleep. Literally, you can take all the supplements in the world, you can drink as much coffee as you want, but your potential will still be inhibited by sleep deprivation. There are so many studies showing that Even just sleeping an hour or two less during the night is going to decrease your cognitive acuity, slow down your reaction time, make you forgetful and lose your productivity in general. So definitely taking your sleep seriously is one of the most important things for not only your health and longevity, but your brain power as well. And what's crazy about it is that sleep deprivation makes you less productive. You're going to get less done, but you think you're going to actually game the system. In reality, you would get more things done if you slept one to two hours longer rather than deliberately sleep depriving yourself. So what I do is I aim for at least six to eight hours of sleep every night and to promote good quality sleep, I'm making sure that I'm not going to drink too much water in the evening. I'm going to block out blue light. I'm not going to get wired up and stressed out before going to bed. I may even take a hot shower or lay down on an acupuncture mattress but that's what I do for for improving my sleep. Other brain hacks that I use are fasted cardio and the ketogenic diet. The reason is that both of them increase BDNF in the brain, which is a neurotrophic factor that stimulates neurogenesis, makes you grow new brain cells, improves your focus, supports memory and is going to definitely wake you up as well. In the morning, I definitely wanna expose myself to some natural sunlight and I'm gonna go for a brisk little walk for maybe 20 minutes. That's going to offset the proper circadian rhythm, it's going to activate my brain and it's going to promote ketosis as well. If I'm planning on doing actual cardio with running and shit, then I'm definitely going to do it in a fasted state because fasted cardio is going to burn more fat, it's going to activate more AMPK, more autophagy and it's generally more ketogenic. The ketogenic diet itself is also great for boosting brain power because of the high amounts of fat they're going to keep the brain more satiated, they're going to lower the glucose demands for the entire body, and it's going to keep me in a semi fasted state as well, by not crossing the blood-brain barrier. You can also do many things to put yourself into a more focused state of mind, like exercise, breathing, cold thermogenesis, but to use that concentration for actually boosting your brain power You want to make sure you're getting enough of the essential nutrients for cognition like DHA, EPA, omega-3s from fatty fish and stuff like spirulina, magnesium, choline, cholesterol, those are all very essential for your brain's health. So before thinking of increasing your brain power with crazy biohacks, make sure that the soil you intend to plant those supplements on is fertile enough. Different essential oils like peppermint or rosemary can also help with cognition. But to train your brain to become better in everything you do, then meditation is probably the best. Meditation literally rewires your brain to become more attentive, more mindful, more focused. But at the same time, you're relaxed. And it also lowers stress, increases gray matter, and triggers neuroplasticity. Yeah, increasing brain power goal comes down to neuroplasticity as well. You want to do stuff that challenges you mentally, that forces you to experience novelty, to go through different ranges of motion and ranges of thought, and to feed yourself the good stuff that's going to facilitate that growth. And I'm going to tell you, bodyweight exercises, doing handstands, inversions, red light therapy, those are all great for that as well. So I gave a few of my biohacks here. You're the only one I know who's got the good stuff. And let's carry on with... The next question, some of the essential supplements and biohacks for getting the edge in life. And by edge, I think you mean the cognitive advantage. You know, it kind of coincides with the other stuff I just mentioned. Meditation, high-intensity exercise, cold thermogenesis, fasting, DHA, EPA, omega-3s, vitamin D from sunlight, sleep... Those are the fundamentals, and you only gain the benefits of these other crazy supplements and stuff like that if you're taking care of the fundamentals. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Does organic lemon juice break a fast? It depends on how much you're consuming. If it's just a squint of an actual lemon you've squeezed into a cup of water, then it's not going to do much harm. The digestive enzymes may stimulate the liver and gut, but it can also help the kidneys and blood sugar. Generally, I don't count lemon juice as breaking a fast, but uh, I would consume it only during the later parts of your fast and use it as something to kind of ease out of the fast without going through it completely. I wouldn't squeeze anything more than a half a lemon at once either. You want to make sure that you don't spike your insulin or anything like that. Next question. How many cups of coffee can you drink without breaking a fast? It's the same as with the lemon juice. If you're consuming it in smaller amounts over the course of a longer period of time, then it's going to have less of an effect on the fasted state than if you were to guzzle down two liters of coffee at once. You could potentially kick yourself out of autophagy if you consumed like three to five lemons or three to five cups of coffee within five minutes. However, if you were to spread them out within several hours, then the nutrients will hit your bloodstream a lot slower and you're going to always maintain a fasted state. Coffee itself also has been shown to stimulate ketosis and autophagy, so it's safe to say that it makes the fast more effective. It's going to activate AMPK and trigger the other endogenous energy-producing pathways in your body. So in general, one to two cups of coffee an hour would definitely keep you fasting. But if you want to make sure that you stay in a deeper autophagy state, then go for one cup of coffee. I'm getting 100 cups of coffee, starting now. Next question. What's the general key to consistency, and how did you set your mind on things that are now just natural in your daily life? So basically, how did I implement new habits that at first were difficult but after having done them for so long are now a part of my self identity. The key to consistency is showing up every day and doing something that moves you closer to your goals. You definitely want to work as long and as hard as you can, but the magic happens when you're doing it consistently. The more often you do something, the better you get at it and the more you begin to associate that activity with who you are. When you're trying to stay consistent with new habits or routines or break old ones, you're naturally going to experience resistance from the ego trying to protect itself. The ego is indifferent to what your goals are or who you want to become. It's just a self-preserving entity that gets constructed exactly based on your past conditioning and behavior. The ego is a continuous process that simply behaves according to what it thinks is best for its own survival. If you've wanted to change something about yourself, then you have to start associating that new version of yourself with more pleasure rather than pain, so that the ego could start yearning for becoming that new person. The most important point is to change your self-identity and think of yourself as if you're already the person you wanna be. What habits would you have? How would you behave? Would you eat this or that? Everything you do is the person you are. So, visualizations and affirmations, they can help to reprogram your subconscious mind as to make that new self identity a more habitual part of yourself. However, for it to actually work, you have to get your skin in the game and practice what you preach. In my own case, I've practiced certain routines and habits that I needed for achieving my goals. I didn't like writing or editing videos when I first started, But through constant repetition and affirmations, I changed that and now I actually love these things. What helped me most was the realization that even though it feels uncomfortable for me right now, I know that the only reason it feels uncomfortable and foreign to me is that it's not a part of my ego at the moment. Like I said, the ego is indifferent to your goals and if you were to have a different ego then you would have an entirely different understanding or a perception of those activities that you wanna do as well. So it's simply another form of illusion. People who have great habits, they do it because it's a part of their self-identity. At first it may be difficult, but eventually it becomes so accustomed to them that going back is actually more difficult. So you have to realize that the person you are right now is not set in stone. And the only reason you feel resistance towards change is because you're not the person you want to be. And your personality and your self-identity, they're always in flux. You don't want to associate yourself with a particular way of being. You don't want to attach yourself to not just addictions, but you don't want to get attached to your self-identity either. You have to realize that you as a person have to constantly evolve. And for that personal evolution to be carried out... You have to slay your previous version and evolve into the much greater and more, more empowered version of yourself. It involves death and resurrection and you have to start loving the process. My name is John Kimball. And I love my car. Next question. How to break a drive fast? We already mentioned it briefly in the previous questions, but I'm going to give you a more specific answer as well. Well, overall, it's going to depend on how long you've been dry fasting, but in general, the first thing you want to consume is a regular water with some sodium and potassium. It's important to also give your kidneys a break and cool them off. Dry fasting makes you produce a ton of ketones and it makes your blood more acidic. Taking some baking soda with water is going to lower the pH levels of your blood and it's going to promote alkalinity. Like I mentioned earlier, what I do is I take a half teaspoon of baking soda in a cup of warm water and maybe like a dash of pink Himalayan rock salt. I'm going to drink that and I'm going to wait for maybe like 30 minutes. Then I'll either drink water with more sodium and potassium or drink something else with electrolytes like pickle juice, coconut water or apple cider vinegar with baking soda again. If you've dry fasted for longer than 24 hours then I wouldn't consume any solid food until you've drank these liquids for at least a few hours. If you've dry fasted for less than 24 hours, then you can drink these things, wait an hour or so, and then eat. If you dry fasted for longer than three days, then I would drink those liquids and continue water fasting for at least 10 to 12 hours before eating. In general, good foods to break a fast with are easily digestible and rich in water, like steamed vegetables, cucumbers, pickles, fruit, eggs and fermented foods. Some soup-based liquids like bone broth or chicken soup are also great because they have a ton of electrolytes and minerals. You can also take some ginger or ginseng, which is gonna help with digestion and stimulate more blood flow in the gut. Next question. Is it okay to eat slightly more carbs on a ketogenic protocol if they're coming from vegetables like cruciferous and leafy greens? Basically, it depends on what kind of a keto protocol are you doing and do you need to stay in ketosis all the time. There's a difference between being in ketosis and being keto adapted. Being in ketosis is the metabolic state where you have elevated blood ketones. Being keto adapted is the condition in which your body has become accustomed to converting fatty acids and ketones into energy instead of glucose. Most people would simply want to do a keto diet just to promote keto adaptation. Unless you have epilepsy, some form of cancer, diabetes, or insulin resistance, then you don't have to worry about maintaining strict ketosis all the time. It will be actually beneficial to dip in and out of ketosis to promote metabolic flexibility. So, you can definitely eat slightly more carbohydrates from vegetables like cruciferous because most of it is already fiber and for that fiber to kick you out of ketosis then you would have to be consuming like a whole bucket of cabbage or broccoli. Not saying that it's impossible but definitely too much fiber is also is going to have a negative effect on your constipation and and it can actually hinder digestion. Now even though cruciferous vegetables are very healthy they have a ton of antioxidants some anti-cancer properties as well You don't wanna be consuming too much either. The problem is that these cruciferous vegetables, they contain a ton of goitrogens. Goitrogens are these compounds that can affect the thyroid glands if you consume them too much. Foods highest in goitrogens are the cruciferous, like broccoli, cabbage, kale, and even some fruit. So if you're suffering from low thyroid, or hypothyroidism, then it's a definitely good idea to limit your vegetable consumption. If you cook or steam those vegetables, then you're gonna lower the amount of coitrogens in them. And that's gonna have a less of an effect on your thyroid. But if that's not your jam then eat all the vegetables you want. All of it. Alright, that's it for this episode of the Body Mind and Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to keep making some similar Q&As in the future. So if you join my Facebook group, then you can also get an exclusive opportunity to have your question answered on the show. Leave us a review on iTunes and your other podcast social media applications. Thanks for listening. Make sure you click the like, subscribe, notification bell as well. My name is Seem. Stay questioning everything. (laughs) Stay empowered.